Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, David Roach on how some are trying to revive shrinking church congregations. Churches of every denomination are closing, uh, liberal and conservative. We can look at the denominational statistics and see that more progressive denominations tend to be bleeding members more quickly than more conservative denominations, but they're closing all across the spectrum. The difference really comes in when we ask, what are the closing churches or declining churches doing with their buildings? That's David Roach, next. It sounds hard to believe, but church closings are far outpacing the openings of new churches across the country. As you'll hear, some congregations have turned their church properties into multi-use developments, which are very akin to business complexes. To discuss this interesting and unusual trend, we contacted Dr. David Roach, a pastor in Alabama and writer for Christianity Today. We'll talk to him about his recent piece, 100,000 Reuses for the Church to Find. David, the subtitle of your piece says, A record number of congregations are predicted to close their doors by 2025. That's not very far away. Do you have any idea what those numbers are? Yes, there's a Presbyterian researcher named Eileen Linder, and she predicted that 100,000 churches could close by 2025 in America. That almost seems unfathomable, but there's other data that that supports that too. Since at least 2019, church closures have outpaced new church starts in America by 50%. That's according to LifeWay Research. Mm. Um, And then also, we know now that the percentage of church members in America has dropped. Less than 50% of Americans are members of a church for the first time starting in 2021. That's a lot of phenomena just coming together that contributes to church closures. Well, what are some of the reasons? And of course, I want to get to uh, the reuse issue uh, of your piece, but what are some of the reasons for the closure of so many churches? It's about money and it's about attendance. And one typically follows the other. And in fact, maybe after we talk about that, we should talk about some theological reasons behind that, because we know that money and attendance aren't the ultimate reasons, but they are the manifesting and measurable causes Mm -hmm. for decline in the church. Um, It takes seven to ten dollars per square foot per year to operate a church facility on average. So it's not unthinkable to imagine a 50,000 square foot church facility. And maybe in the 1970s, even the 1980s, that church was thriving with several hundred people. But in the meantime, there have been factories that have closed in the town. The population of whatever town in America we're talking about has shifted a little bit so that now the new growth is in a new area. And here you have a 50,000 square foot facility, which would be something like uh, a sanctuary building, maybe a gym, a classroom building or two, and you're easily up to 50,000 square feet. And now you have a congregation that's just a few dozen 
mostly elderly people that have to pay that seven to ten dollars per square foot. And to take a hypothetical example, if you have a church of 30 elderly people at that rate per square foot, each of them are just going to have to they're going to have to give at least seventeen thousand dollars annually. Mm only just to maintain the building. And you start thinking about even if all of them are tithing, that means that all 30 of your elderly members have got to make at least $170,000 a year. And we haven't even paid the pastor or funded any ministries. The math just doesn't work. And so those churches with declining attendance are not able to keep up their facilities. I'm wondering too, Dave, and people, of course, are going to be thinking this. What, what about, of course, what we've gone through in recent years, COVID, and and it, you know, clearing out the churches for a while. People going online. A lot of people, I think, I don't know what the numbers are, continuing to stay online. And of course, the increasing secularization of our country and the increasing numbers of those that check none for uh, religious affiliation. Those facts that you just mentioned certainly play into it. The COVID exodus and the secularization seem to go hand in hand because not in all cases, but in many cases, the people who seem to be drifting toward the secular direction just were weeded out by COVID. Mm. They, They didn't come back because church wasn't important enough in their calculations. Given that seeming reality, I wouldn't want to put too much stress on COVID's role in this it may have accelerated what was going to happen anyway. But if the culture is secularizing and people were moving away from church, COVID just seemed to be the instant occasion for them to make the move final. Well, David, you're in the South, you're in Alabama, and it just makes me wonder, are these churches that either have closed or are in danger of closing, are they in more concentrated in particular parts of the country? They are all across the country. Uh, they're they're in the Bible Belt, they're in the Northeast, they're in the West. Uh, in fact, just yesterday, I came across a situation where in the metro area where I live, Mobile, Alabama, there's a church that's looking at giving its facility to another church. Um, <laughs> so nobody in no region is immune to it. Now, of course, we should add the caveat that if you're in a region that has more churches to begin with, then the logic would have it that the, that more churches are closing. But I don't know that it's necessarily a higher percentage. I came across instances of rural churches that were having this trouble and uh, urban churches that are having this trouble. Well, my guest today on His People is a uh... Dr. David Roach, he's a pastor of Shiloh Baptist Church in Saraland, Alabama. We're talking about a piece that he wrote for Christianity Today magazine, 100,000 Reuses for the Church to Find. Uh, the subtitle is, uh, with a record number of congregations predicted to close their doors by 2025, multi-use developments may be the future for shrinking congregations and empty buildings. You raise the issue, are there denominations, uh, theological orientations that are most commonly or are most likely to be declining are most most commonly closing, David? Uh, the answer about are there churches that tend to close more in certain denominations, churches of every denomination are closing, uh, liberal and conservative. We can look at the denominational statistics and see that more progressive denominations tend to be bleeding members more quickly than more conservative denominations. But 
they're closing all across the spectrum. The difference really comes in when we ask, what are the closing churches or declining churches doing with their buildings? The more progressive churches seem more prone to these multi-use developments, while the more conservative churches seem more likely to try to replant a church in the, in the facility. I didn't really see that observation written anywhere. And in fact, when you ask a few people that are experts in the field, they'll say conservative churches, liberal churches all over the place are doing this. But then as I got examples, in my experience, the overwhelming preponderance of the examples, not like 60%, but 90% plus mm. the examples of repurposing were progressive churches. So that made me dig into it a little bit deeper and start asking the questions. And having done that, I am confident that it's the progressive denominations that are more prone to the repurposing. And it really has something to do with their vision of the church and how that differs from a more evangelical vision of the church. Can you describe that for us? I was thinking of saving that till the end, but maybe it's good to do it right up front. The conservative church is generally focused on gospel proclamation. They're thinking about Matthew 28 and the Great Commission mm -hmm. and asking, why are we here? If, if we're just going to have a daycare and a credit union and some affordable housing, they're in favor of that. But doing those things mainly is not being the church, according to most conservative churches. More progressive churches and denominations tend to see those activities as closer to the essence of what being the church is. Hmm. We're being the hands and feet of Christ when we go out and provide affordable housing, when we create jobs for the community. So they seem to be more comfortable with this repurposing. Well, and to the point of, of that, uh, repurposing your, your piece is 100,000 reuses for the church to find, and you give a number of examples of this, which are uh, really quite interesting. Um, one is St. Peter's United Church of Christ uh, in Louisville, Kentucky. The concept is a multi-use development and how it helps to, well, at least in, in, in from their perspective, revive the church and maybe even uh, really help the community in some way. Can you talk about the concept a little bit? And then uh, I guess that example of St. Peter's. St. Peter's is one of the textbook examples of this. It's St. Peter's United Church of Christ. Uh, a lot of your listeners will recognize the United Church of Christ label and know right away that that's a, a church from a denomination very far to the left of the spectrum in American Christianity. But they are located in a predominantly black, lower income area of Louisville, Kentucky. But the congregation itself was just a handful of elderly German Americans. Their building was falling apart. Literally all of the systems in the building had failed. We're talking about plumbing, electrical, heating, plaster was falling off the walls, and lead paint had led the city to close and condemn the building. They had a pastor that came in and caught this vision for repurposing. So on their property, they built a multi-use development called the Village at West Jefferson. It's got a coffee shop, a credit union, a daycare center, healthcare services. They have hundreds of community members come through every week. And the congregation itself is up to about 160 people 
which is certainly more thriving than just a handful, literally a handful of elderly people. It worked in that situation. Uh, they were able to secure the funding from a variety of sources. Um, they tapped into funds from multiple mainline denominations. They got some federal funds. Uh, they got other investors. And when it came down to it, they really helped revitalize the community. Mm. So it's essentially uh, a business complex uh, around a church. Okay. So they must have had a fairly big property. It did. I don't know the exact acreage, but having seen the images of it, yes, it, it is a big property because the multi-use development part of it is not even the same structure that I was talking about a minute ago that was falling apart. Uh, sometimes this is these kind of developments are feasible because of the location of the closing and dying churches. This one was in the heart of the city. And you have other cities across North America that have some of those same things. Uh, I came across an Anglican church in Montreal that shares space with, among other things, a circus company. Oh, um, There are multiple <laughs> churches I came across that have affordable housing. There's a well-known one called Emory Fellowship in Washington, D.C. That's a United Methodist Church. And then there is Arlington Presbyterian Church in Virginia, and they're in Northern Virginia, that also has affordable housing in the multi-use development that it opened up. Uh, there are denominations that are promoting this, especially the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship was one. Uh, on their website, they have a whole catalog of churches in various areas that have done um, new ventures to bring in some capital from sharing the parking lot for uh, athletic events to even solar farming and providing outdoor space for the community. The multi-uses run the gamut, truly. And in terms of affordable housing, you mentioned Emory Fellowship uh, has mm -hmm. affordable housing as part of uh, what they're offering. Is that on the same site as the church? With all of these it's on church property somehow that that's the reason it works is because those congregations are trying to use the property that their church is on to generate other revenue because the revenue of tithes and offerings is not going to be able to keep up for too many more years now, now do these innovative approaches to, and it sounds like you've you've kind of juxtaposed the the liberal and the conservative uh, churches theologically perhaps and and we, I want to get into that a little bit more and, and some of the differences and how they may view the church but do these innovative approaches to reviving churches the, the multi-use as you just described have any kind of an evangelistic or um, missions motivation behind them that's a great question. It would certainly be a platform for evangelism and missions. I think in often, often in many cases, uh, a church's view of what the church is also affects very strongly their view of what missions and evangelism is. Mm. I can't cite an example for you of a church that is using a multi-use development to strongly proclaim the gospel and call people to faith in Jesus but I wouldn't want to say that that doesn't happen because I imagine it really is happening somewhere. As we're looking at this whole aspect of a record number of congregations predicted to close their doors by 2025 and this 
uh, really innovative. As you say, it's it's on the progressive side of uh, the theological spectrum in, in most or vast majority of cases, but it also goes to just the sign of declining church attendance or church membership. I mean, just the numbers of people that are walking in the doors of churches, the average number of people in a church has, has itself, uh, it just as a sign of that, is also shrinking quite dramatically. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the median church size in 2020 fell to less than half of what it was in 2000. There's one study that found that in 2000, the median church size was 137. But then in 2020, the median church size in America was 65. Mm. You also raise the issue, and it's an interesting one, and I don't know how many people think of this, but where there is a church building owned, uh, in most cases, it sits unused, much or most of the building sits unused for much of the week, except, of course, on Sunday, in most cases. Uh, are uh, many, I'm, I'm thinking too, not just the progressive churches, but conservative churches, do many rent out space to community organizations, maybe as a sort of as a fundraising uh, approach? One key voice in this discussion is Mark Clifton. Ah. He works for the Southern Baptist Convention's North American Mission Board as Senior Director of Replanting. And he is a real guru of helping declining and about to die churches. Um, he says that it's best to put a new congregation in the building or revitalize it, but Along with that, he says, you ought to give your building to the community mm. as an outreach. But his distinction is, if you're trying to revitalize your church, do it as an outreach. It's not really to make a bunch of capital. Um, I'm glad that you've come back a couple of times to the distinction between progressive and conservative churches, because I do think that holds, but we also need to qualify it. You've heard the old saying that there are two kinds of people in the world, those that divide everything into two categories and those that don't. Um, I think we probably ought to be careful in this instance about dividing everything into two categories, because it's not that easy, even though that is the general trend. Uh, the church that I pastor, Shiloh Baptist Church in Saraland, Alabama, has a daycare, and we use one of our buildings all throughout the week as a daycare. And that is a ministry. Um, I'm thinking of somebody right now that we have reached with the gospel in the last several months and baptized through that. But it does also generate tuition income. And we have to think about it like a business because we can't just let it go under in the name of ministry. So there are evangelical churches that are using their buildings for other purposes, sometimes even income generating purposes. I suspect daycares and private schools are among the top uses in, in that regard. Uh, but I also suspect that among that evangelical subset, the building use is more of an outreach, yeah. often without income generation. Well, it's interesting. You raised uh, Mark Clifton's name, and he's with, uh, is it the North American Mission Board? Yes, that's correct. And and he, uh, as I recall from your article, he suggests three options for churches that are declining or are on the verge of closing. And I'm wondering if you could kind of give us a quick overview of what those options are. And actually, he's, if you will, he's kind of putting his money where his mouth is, and he's doing, he's doing one of these himself. Yes, he is. He advises churches to take one of these three paths. 
either a new church plant could take over the old church's building and then bring the members into that new congregation so that there's a total relaunch in the old building. Mm. Uh, path number two is that a healthier church could adopt the dying church and then work to replant a new congregation in the building. Or the third approach is to replant from within. The dying church could hire a pastor with training to replant the church from within, and then he could shepherd the members that are there from the existing congregation, but also have a mind to replant. That's what Mark Clifton did with Linwood Baptist Church in Linwood, Kansas, which is near Kansas City, but it's a, it's a world away from Kansas City in some ways. There was a small rural church there that had dwindled to three members. They contacted Mark Clifton about three years ago, and they were of the mind that they just wanted to close the doors. But he convinced them to let him come as pastor for free and replant the church. And in three years, they've gone from three in worship to 115 in worship, mm. and they've baptized more than 20 new believers. Mark Clifton's still a teaching pastor at that church, Linwood Baptist Church in Linwood, Kansas. That's wonderful. It, it reminds me, uh, another person that did something similar is, in, I think in the Southern Baptist Church as well, is Mike McKinley. He did it with the Sterling Park Baptist Church. He, uh, I think they had maybe nine members at that time, and now it's a, it's a thriving congregation as well, kind of, uh, in, in a sense, re replanting the church. Mm -hmm. There are any number of examples in evangelical churches of this happens. Uh, sometimes it's just a matter of getting a new mindset and start focusing outward rather than inward. Every church, no matter how much it's thriving currently, has the potential to die in one generation. Mm. You can never get a church to a point where you think this is just going to work forever if we press autopilot. It's probably the churches who think that way that end up dying. Because unless Jesus comes back, all your members are going to die and, or they're going to move away before they do. And you've got to do something to keep the church going in the next generation. It means constant eye to evangelism, constant eye to discipleship, and a constant willingness to change. Well, uh, David, I want to ask you before our time uh, runs out here about an organization you, you bring up in the article, uh, Rooted Good. And I'm just wondering, what, what, what does Rooted Good do in, in this context of, of declining churches and repurposing and all of that? Their mission statement is to help faith-based organizations align their mission with their money. They consult with churches across North America, and they are concerned that unless churches repurpose their buildings, there's going to be a massive opportunity missed for missional impact, because you have towns, even small ones, where every church is closing. And Rooted Good thinks it would serve those towns better if the churches repurpose their buildings to something with community impact rather than just selling to a real estate developer that makes it into an office suite or something. So, And, and they're advocating uh, a missionary approach as well, sort of seeing them as a missions outreach? A missionary approach, but uh, now this is my, what I'm about to say is my summary, not theirs. They seem to be toward the more progressive mm. part of the spectrum okay. in terms of theology and ecclesiology. Uh, so they see multi-use developments as 
carrying out the mission of the church a little bit more than a Mark Clifton or somebody like that might. And not to oversimplify it, I'm not sure if you raise this in, in your piece, but obviously many churches in these situations there and churches across the country and the world are, are praying for revival, revival of their local church, but revival of the church in general. Yes, there's a danger of reducing church revitalization to a science where we are almost engineering more than science, where we know the formula, and if we plug the right inputs into the formula, then voila, you're going to get a revitalized church. But as you noted, that's simply not how it works. We use the means God has provided, but then we have to pray and rely on His Spirit to do the work that only He can do. Linwood Baptist Church was not revitalized because of the right formula. It was revitalized because the Holy Spirit of God saved people mm. through the preaching of the gospel carried out by surrendered believers. And, and that's what we most need more than a real estate development plan or even a church replanting plan. Well, David, maybe you just answered this, but ultimately, what is at stake in terms of all of these declining congregations, declining churches at stake in terms of the church's mission and ministry uh, in the world and, and how it's approached? The approach, and as you've been explaining, it, it, it is different across the theological spectrum. Well, the glory of God is at stake. Mark Clifton says it well. He says, what about a dying church says our God is great and his gospel is powerful? I could not agree more with that. We stand up in our churches every Sunday and we say we worship a God who has the entire universe in his hand. We serve a God that could save anybody at any time. He has the power to deliver you from sin and trial and oppression. Then when we turn around and we close the doors, it makes it look like maybe God's not really as great as we said that he was. So all believers that care what the world thinks about God should be very interested in figuring out some way to help and come alongside of declining churches, even if an individual believer is not himself in a declining church. And I don't know if we specifically address this, but uh, I think early on in your piece you talk about the fact that uh, church closings are f now far outpacing church openings. So it sounds like the uh, a high priority, and maybe it already is with, with your denomination, the Southern Baptist, and maybe in general, but that of planting new churches. Yeah, that's right. Lifeway Research came out with these numbers. Uh, they said that in 2019, about 3,000 new churches opened, but 4,500 closed hmm. in America. But it was different five years earlier. Five years earlier, church openings were 4,000 and church closings were 3,700. So somewhere between 2014 and 2019, not just Southern Baptists, but churches in America got upside down when it comes to opening and closing. Well, what would you like the average person reading this, and of course that's that essentially who's reading the article or who's hearing our discussion to, to do with this information? Know that you can do something about declining churches. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be in vocational ministry. But there is a declining church somewhere near you. You can pray for that church. You can call the pastor and encourage him. 
You could take him out to lunch. Uh, you could talk to your pastor about maybe taking a team over to that church to help them with some kind of ministry. Little things help declining churches in a big way. And you can show the world God's greatness by taking just one of those teeny tiny steps to assist that congregation down the road. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Alabama pastor Dr. David Roach, writer of the Christianity Today piece, 100,000 Reuses for the Church to Find. You can read it at ChristianityToday.com. Thanks for listening, and I hope you can join us again on Monday at this same time for another edition of His People. His People.